electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Steve Bannon, the former White House chief strategist on what he says is China's role in the COVID-19 spread. The people of the world are going to demand an accounting. They're going to demand a responsibility. And the Chinese Communist Party is going to have to pay. More than 30 million Americans have lost their jobs in the last six weeks. Labor Secretary Eugene Scalia joins us. We came into this period of unemployment by a very different path than, say, in the Great Recession. And, and we'll go out by a different path. And there's some reason for optimism there, too. Plus, Tesla surprises Wall Street with a profitable quarter. And on the earnings call, CEO Elon Musk drops the F-bomb in a rant against stay-at-home orders. What the f***, excuse me, outrage, just an outrage. So it, it will cause great harm, not just to Tesla, but to any company. While Tesla will weather the storm, there are many small companies that will not. Effing Squawk Pod. It's Thursday, April 30th, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Good effing morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Let's take a look at the morning. First up on today's podcast, Out of Work in America. The Labor Department released the number of first-time filings for unemployment insurance in the last week. Today's figure was 3.8 million, bringing the rolling six-week count to over 30 million people newly unemployed. It's worth noting that this number, just shy of 4 million, is higher than what economists were expecting, but still the lowest level of initial jobless claims since the week of March 21st. Here's Becky Quick. For more on the claims number and the unemployment picture in this country, let's bring in U.S. Labor Secretary Eugene Scalia. Secretary Scalia, thank you for joining us this morning. A pleasure to be with you. Uh, the numbers were bad this morning. We expected bad numbers. We, we know what's been happening as we've forcibly shut down the country. Um, but where do you think we head from here? Well, these are tough numbers to see. I, I agree. What it means is in, in total over the last uh, six weeks that we've been looking at, unemployment uh, claims uh, are at about uh, 30 million. It's just a very high number. Uh, but uh, a couple quick notes about it. Uh, one, uh, the president, Congress moved very swiftly uh, in March to address this, including uh, with the uh, unemployment enhancements made in the CARES Act. Uh, as of uh, last Tuesday, all 50 states in the District of Columbia are now paying that additional $600 supplement that the president uh, signed off on in the CARES Act. So that's uh, uh, valuable relief that's on the way. The states, they've got some old computer systems, uh, but uh, we are working with them at the Labor Department to help get these payments out. And then the second point that I, I do think is important, as, as, as difficult as it is to uh, see this many Americans unemployed, uh, we came into this uh, period of unemployment by a very different path than, say, in the Great Recession. And, and we'll go out by a different path. And there's some reason for optimism there, too. Is the PPP working? What would these numbers be without it? Well, I think the PPP is one of the best things in the CARES Act. As you know, uh, that's the program of loans for small businesses uh, where the loans are largely forgivable if the businesses keep those workers on payroll. From the perspective of the Labor Department, the reason I like that program so much is that uh, there's light at the end of this tunnel. Uh, we purposely paused our economy. But the pause was meant to be temporary. And if we can keep these employment relationships intact, 
then workers can get back on the job more quickly. Businesses can get going more quickly. So I think the program's been a really great success, uh, despite some of the sniping that it's come in for. And, uh, and I have no doubt that it's uh, helped keep some people uh, out of unemployment. Mr. Secretary, as Labor Secretary, part of your mandate, obviously, is to make sure that you are looking out for uh, the rights and the welfare of workers, too. We start to hear business leaders like Elon Musk, who are out there saying he thinks it's wrong that the states have shut down his business, that he should be allowed to bring them back. Anybody who wants to come out and leave their home should be allowed to. What's your response to uh, something like that when you hear a business leader talking out loud about how he'd rather have his workers back and shouldn't be forced by the state to not have them there? Well, uh, I think it's right for people to go back uh, to uh, their business places as uh, the governors make those determinations uh, in accordance with the blueprint the president laid out a couple weeks ago. Uh, You're right. We at the Labor Department uh, have uh, a strong interest in protecting workers, both those who are out of work, but also those who are on the job and could be exposed to the virus. And I've been working very closely, really for months now, with the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, on a couple fronts. One is giving guidelines to business uh, uh, speci- industry-specific guidelines. We did it for meatpacking together with CDC uh, earlier this week. We've done it, uh, again, working with CDC on other industries, and we'll continue to do that so that companies and workers know uh, w- what's needed to keep them safe. But we're also fielding complaints from workers. We are investigating when there are concerns by workers that conditions are unsafe. And we have tools, including enforcement tools, that we'll use if we need to to protect workers. And that message is an important one for people to hear. Well, the meatpacking industry, that was going to be my next question. Uh, The president obviously has uh, insisted that the meatpacking industry stay open because they're vital to the national supply chains. Uh, But those uh, were shut down. Those packing industry, those packing uh, facilities were shut down because there had been hundreds of cases of coronavirus that had been circulated. What have you heard from the workers in those meatpacking industries? What are you doing on that front? Well, as I said, we worked closely with the Centers for Disease Control in putting out uh, guidelines. I think they came out last Sunday about uh, how to safely operate those plants and uh, social distancing, all kinds of uh, hygiene practices, uh, changes in how they run their uh, their uh, conveyor lines and the like, which uh, will uh, help uh, protect workers. But it's going to require constant attention. The companies are going to need to uh, pay uh, attention to worker welfare. At the same time, uh, we know that this is a, a critical part of our infrastructure, part of our food supply that we need to keep available in a way that's, that's safe for the food supply and absolutely safe for workers, too. And we will, as I said, uh, continue to look into concerns employees raise and consult with CDC. Every CEO we've spoken with have said that in order to bring their workers back, they're going to need to do things like make sure that they get more protective equipment for their employees to make sure that they have testing, adequate testing, so that they can ensure that the workforce feels confident and comfortable and that there aren't uh, cases circulating. Uh, Obviously, there's a limited number of all of those things. And if every single CEO is trying to get his or her hands on all of that, I just wonder, do you get involved with that process? Do you say that there are certain industries um, that should be put to the front of the line that are more important to get back faster? Well, I think that the task force, the president, vice president, and the governors uh, have recognized uh, certain industries that uh, need uh, special attention because they're so vital, uh, critical Uh, to the American people and our economy, and and that focus is appropriate. I uh, participated in the president, vice president's meeting 
yesterday with uh, some uh, executives. And I really continue to be impressed by uh, the steps that companies want to take to protect their workers. Uh, I think it's a good sign. Uh, business leaders are recognizing that their customers want to feel safe. Their workers want to feel safe. We want to help them in that enterprise. Uh, but I also recognize that not every business is going to know the right thing to do or sometimes uh, be inclined to do the right thing. And so we'll be vigilant in uh, looking into that front as well. Secretary Scalia, thank you for your time today. Appreciate being with you. We're going to start with Tesla because uh, it is sharply higher after surprising the street with another quarter in the black, although the company is putting near-term profit guidance on hold. Tesla also delaying semi-truck deliveries until uh, 2021, so that semi-truck not going to be there, but uh, that program now two years behind schedule. Uh, On the company's conference call, Elon Musk blasting the pandemic stay-at-home order. Here's what he had to say. The extension of the shelter-in-place or Frankly, I would call it forcibly imprisoning people in their homes uh, against all their constitutional rights, that's my opinion, and breaking people's freedoms in ways that are horrible and and, and wrong, uh, and not why people came to America or built this country. What the excuse me. Um, People, the outrage, it's an outrage. This is a time to think about the future, um, and and also to to ask, you know, is it right to infringe upon people's rights as, as what is what is happening right now? Um, I think the I think the people are going to be very angry about this and are very angry. Um, it's just like if somebody should be if somebody wants to stay in their house, that's that's great. They should be allowed to stay in their house and they should not be compelled to leave. But to say that they cannot leave their house um, and they will be arrested if they do, this is this is a, this is a, this is fascist. This is not democratic. This is not freedom. Give people back their goddamn freedom. Then around uh, 3.30 a.m. Eastern, uh, Musk tweeted this. A Liberty, American flags with uh, a unicorn and, uh, well, an expletive that uh, you, can only, you can only imagine. Uh, Mike Santoli, let's, let's talk more, more about the numbers and maybe less about uh, his commentary. We could talk about the commentary, too, because it's a, a worthy debate. Uh, but you look at these numbers the market's uh, going to like it. But what, what, but what do we know about the next quarter and the quarter out? There's a lot we don't know, Andrew. And, you know, if you were nostalgic for, you know, corporate uh, realities before COVID, then Tesla delivering a strong but kind of, you know, a debatable quarter in terms of the underlying strength, not really having much to say uh, tangible about the outlook and Elon Musk saying provocative things. That's basically takes you back to before we were in all this. Um, the, the factory in California only closed for a week of the quarter. Uh, strong demand in the first couple of months. There's no denying that, but essentially um, kind of suspending guidance on volumes for this year. So I think you can kind of scrutinize this, uh, this performance from both angles. Uh, the bears are focusing on, you know, 300 plus million dollars of the profit was those regulatory credits. Uh, and, you know, cash flow, we're not really sure exactly why you had negative cash flow. But on the other hand, very strong sales in the first couple of months and obviously a, a net profit on the bottom line. So uh, the fact that this stock went from 920 to 370 in a month from the high in February to the low in March and now is back above 800 is just remarkable and almost can't be pinned to what's going on at the company. It's just a show of, uh, of how sentiment has basically whipsawed so dramatically. And, and this is always 
uh, kind of a spring-loaded version of whatever the market mood is. Do you is. think this is a Tesla story? Do you think this is Tesla-specific? Do you think that the rest of the car market is going to somehow uh, benefit from the way people are thinking about Teslas? Are Teslas somehow different insofar as when people think about demand in, in a socially distanced world? Maybe people are going to invest in their vehicle since that's going to be the thing they're going to spend yeah. more time in. I don't think that it's moving on uh, macro realities. Um, I, I really, first of all, Tesla's always been different. I don't think, I don't think the, the core Tesla buyer is saying, I need a car. I wonder which one I'll get. I think it'll be a Tesla. Uh, Tesla is the brand that the people who have been buying it to date have decided they wanted. Um, but what you are going to see in the rest of this year is Detroit's going to be giving cars away for the rest of this year. Um, right. And so you have to, it'll be a test of whether there is really head-to-head competition in that or if Tesla is still a small enough part of the market that it's just benefiting from its own uh, kind of core demand out there for the brand. Maybe some potential help with a common frustration that uh, some of us have been having with facial recognition in the time of coronavirus. Apple has now released iPhone software to developers for testing that would make it easier to unlock your phone without, without face ID while wearing a mask. The new unlock process would bring the passcode field to the main screen. So all you need to do is swipe up if you're wearing a mask and you'll skip the face ID display without the annoying delay that some people have been having and enter your passcode instead. It will likely be a few weeks before a final version launches with the feature enabled. But I don't know if you remember, guys, maybe you guys still have one, one of those phones where you have the thumbprint. The thumbprint I thought was actually pretty good, yeah. and they took it away in favor of the in favor of Face ID. I wish today you'd kind of think you should have both. Yeah, the brave new. Although world. I tell you, the last time I was in a store, the last time I was in a store, I had a mask and gloves on, and I I, <laughs> I thought about it for a minute before I left the car. I'm like, forget it. I'm not taking my phone in there. You're going to risk getting it contaminated. You're going to take off your mask or your or your right. gloves to try and deal with it. Like, the answer is, you're just not going to use your phone in public. That's crazy. The, the I had the grocery list on my phone and then had the gloves on, and I, I know. didn't know what to do. Oh, oh, but you've got to memorize it. You've got to memorize it. That's happened that was to my me. issue, too. That's happened to me, but with, yeah. with, with, the, with the gloves, the thin gloves, you can, get, you can use your phone. I had, for a while, mm. before I got a box of those gloves, I was using big yellow dishwashing madge i don't know oh i got dishwater hands <laughs> i was using those and sterilizing them and, and reusing them each time and on the phone yeah. you couldn't get it to work a big ugly yellow uh dishwashing hand uh, now, but if the you other take ones your work. phone into the store with you you're gonna get your phone contaminated what's yeah, the well, point no, in making I put sure you're wearing a mask and gloves if you Lysol, then... i wipe I the phone i, I do all that just but the whole you got to write out the grocery list from now on. No, no. It's fine on my phone. I got the gloves on. But 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 the the brave new world. We're all of us, away from you. We're all of us. Are, well, you are staying away from me. I'm here. The brave new world where all of us are walking <laughs> around and every. Oh, there's that guy. There's a criminal. Oh, there's a famous guy. The brave new world of facial recognition took a wrong turn on the way to Albuquerque. That can't happen. We're all going to be wearing masks for the next, you know, 50 years. You can never use global, you can never use facial recognition. Can you, Sorkin, or can we do x-ray? year and a half. Can we use x-ray uh, facial recognition or something? I wonder whether, I wonder whether they're going to figure out a way to do it just with your, with your eyes. I think we could do it with, like your, with eyebrows. It does work. I would know you out of 10 million people. There's Sorkin. I could see you coming uh, a mile away. I, I, it might work with eyes. You're right. It might work with eyes. Mine, I have to draw in, which is depressing. But anyway, cho- 
shows my hair color. <laughs> I do. Uh, just like All I right. feel. TMI. All right. Next on Squawk Pod, former White House Chief Strategist Steve Bannon. Remember. We're at war. On one front, it's about the pandemic and this unprecedented uh, virus that came that came upon us. The other, and let's be brutally frank about it, is this war against the Chinese Communist Party. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. President Trump hosted business executives at the White House yesterday to talk about efforts to reopen the U.S. economy as more states, including Alabama and Texas, get ready to roll back stay-at-home restrictions. We're reopening our country, and it's very exciting. And it should have never happened. This plague should never have happened. It could have been stopped, but people chose not to stop it. Today on Squawk Box, we dug deeper into the U.S. economy's resilience the role of the federal government in shoring it up, and what becomes of the United States' relationship with China after coronavirus. All of that with former White House chief strategist Steve Bannon. Bannon was the architect of many of Trump's populist America First policies going back to the campaign in 2016, as well as the view of China inside the administration. That was all before he left his formal role there in August of 2017. Bannon is now the host of the podcast War Room Pandemic, tracking the spread of COVID-19. Here's Joe Kernan. Steve, it's uh, tomorrow's May 1st. How is the conversation on May 31st going to be different than the conversation we're having right now? In your view, what's going to transpire over the next uh, 30 days, 31 days? Well, you're going to start to see these governors, I think, prudently but boldly start to unlock their uh, economies. We've had greater job losses in the Great Depression. So I think you're seeing these governors who I think if you look at the polling They've got a lot of support from their states. So you're going to see states like Texas. You're going to see states like Ohio, uh, Florida eventually start to open up and do it in a way that, you know, make sure that their states are safe, that the people, that the public health systems are working, but also that people can get back to work. And I think that's what people want to do. They want to do it in a in a smart, prudent, but, uh, you know, as fast as possible, as fast as prudently possible. How is the interplay going to work between the Trump administration and the different governors, the, the governors of different parties, of different states, with different populations and, and, and everything else? How do you see that playing out in, in this charged environment that we're in right now? Well, you say charged. I think if you look at look, this has been unprecedented, obviously, in, in world history, what's going on in, in obviously American history. But I think generally this kind of new federalism that President Trump has had in allowing the governors to kind of be the management Right. They set the overall policy at the federal government level and supply logistical support. But I think allowing the governors to, to do this, whether it's Governor Murphy in New Jersey or Governor Cuomo in New York or particularly people like Governor DeWine, it's worked out. It's generally worked out pretty well. And I think people in those states, particularly if you look at the polling, are generally happy and confident about it. And I think President Trump, what they're still doing is putting the overall guidance right and trying to do support where they can do support. And the governors are going to take the lead here. And I think we'll start to see this. I think by May 31st, I think we're going to be in much better shape, particularly in, in, in kind of feeling this through of how you unlock this economy. 
And I believe the president is doing the smart thing by backing these governors and letting the governors take the lead on this. So across the board, you think that the balance between reopening the economy, which obviously, you know, the expression, the cure being worse than the disease itself, that you hear that a lot. I mean, do you think the right balance has been struck at this point because we were basically still closed down? It's been very painful, uh, but we have been. Uh, bent the curve, and we're, we're seeing some progress in, in, in trying to minimize uh, the number of deaths. Look, I, as you know, in our show, we started out in January because we realized what a historic event this was going to be, given what the Chinese Communist Party did in locking down Ubay province. Remember, Ubay province is about the size of France with the same, uh, generally close to the same population. And quarantining Wuhan, which is 40 percent bigger than New York, we knew this was going to be massive. We had actually advocated if you're going to take, you know, you should have a harder shutdown. But I think what the president did it and backing these governors and having kind of this new federalism turned out to be smart. People closer to the deck plates could actually manage this. And so I think that if you go back and look at it, given everything that could have transpired, right, and obviously at six, over 60,000 uh, deaths so far, this has been the largest mass casualty event in American history for civilians. So it's been obviously terrible in that regards, but at least manageable, given what the alternatives were if you just had done nothing and try to go just to herd immunity. So I think it was very prudently done. It was smartly done. Obviously, a lot of this was made up as it went along. And I think backing the play of governors to do this uh, is going to be smart. Look, President Trump took bold actions at the federal level when he had to. Uh, stopping the travel to China, stopping the travel in from Europe, declaring a national emergency that allowed FEMA to get more involved and have more resources. But so far, I think it's come off. I think it's come off quite well, given the horrific nature of what we had. Remember, if the Chinese Communist Party had told us back in December when they knew about human to human transmission, they knew about community spread. If they told the world, Southampton University in England says 95% of this will all been avoided. All the deaths, all the agony, and all the economic carnage. Given the fact that that was hidden from us and people lied about it, I think generally everybody, regardless of political ideology, whether it's Gavin Newsom in California or Governor Cuomo in New York, Governor DeWine in Ohio, Abbott in Texas, DeSantis, I think people pulled together and we've actually come through at this point and now it's, let's get on with it. Remember, regardless of political ideology, the 30 million Americans uh, unemployed. That is both Republicans and Democrats, but they're American citizens. What they want to do is get back to work. And the governors, I think, at the tip of the spear with the president having their back at the federal level. Andrew. Steve, this is a, this is a business slash political question. Um, given the, the huge steps the Fed has taken, the Treasury has taken, and I think a lot of people think they, those steps needed to be taken. But at some level, you could argue that this is the largest corporate welfare program that's ever been undertaken in the world. It's the largest corporate insurance program in the world. Um, I just wonder how you think some people who, who believe in free market capitalism are going to think about that and how it shifts, if it does, the view inside the Republican Party about things like the Affordable Care Act, given that you now have, uh, we've now proven that we care or we, we say we care about employees and we care about their health. Look, you go back, Andrew, you know, this is, like I said, unprecedented. And if you look at the action that was taken at the Federal Reserve, it's one of the reasons you're talking about this buoyant uh, stock market is that the Fed at an unprecedented level has come in and kind of backed uh, every asset class that we have, except for probably equities. But they've got they've had unprecedented was the three, four, five trillion dollar bazooka to back that up. So we've had a change, kind of, quite frankly, in the nature, because remember, we're at war. President Trump is a wartime president. This is a war on two fronts. 
on one front, it's about the pandemic and this unprecedented uh, virus that came that came upon us. The other, and let's be brutally frank about it, is this war against the Chinese Communist Party, both an information war and an economic war. And as you remember, it's your deal book conference back in the fall of last year. I took on Tom Friedman, Eric Schmidt, and others and said, hey, we have to face a brutal reality. We're facing a competitor here that is not a partner, not a strategic, uh, you know, workmate. This is an enemy, and they treat us like an enemy. We've got to face that. And if you look at what happened here, they treated us like an enemy. That's why I think the scale of this has been so unprecedented. And look at what we've done at the Federal Reserve level. So, yes, I think the very nature of how we have to get our hands around this has changed a degree. Remember, we're still free market capitalism, but we have to deal with this amazing scale that we've, you know, we've had in the last 90 days. Hey, Steve, the, uh, the president still seems at least partly to be pulling his punches on, on you know, talking about uh, you know, doing something to China, somehow getting reimbursed for their role in all of this or, or some type of punitive uh, action because it, people attribute that to still wanting the trade deal to succeed. Do you eventually think that there's going to be something that, that we're going to ask for China to reimburse the, the world or the United States for at this point? And, and do you think that the trade talks are, uh, are making it li less likely that he's too vociferous about that right at this point? Just go back to what Andrew said a minute ago. Look, we've got 30 million people unemployed. You have, what, hundreds of thousands of people around the world dead. You have economic carnage everywhere. And remember, it's not just the cash we put in. It's the opportunity cost of what we've had to forego. No, the Chinese Communist Party, is direct, they're knowingly responsible for this, as the president said. Let's leave aside the fact of what they've been doing in these labs. Let's leave aside the fact of do they have a biological weapons program or not. Investigations at the intelligence level with all these nations combined at the, at the health level, at the public health services, that'll be full investigations of that. We know for a fact they knew they had human transmission and community spread in, in mid to late December. They knew this and they lied. They came to they came to the White House and signed a signed a trade deal. The trade deal you're talking about. And President Trump reiterated last night. They never said a word about this. They had the World Health Organization come out on the 14th of January, put out a tweet saying we after consultation with senior members of the Chinese uh, government. The Chinese Communist Party, they've told us there's no human-to-human -human transmission. These are bald-faced lies. At the same time, they're going around the world vacuuming up in Europe, Brazil, Australia, and the United States all the personal protective equipment, which is the key part for actually doing testing and also protecting the doctor and nurses teams that were so essential to save lives in places like Italy and in Brooklyn and Queens. No, they're directly responsible. This is going to have to, the people of the world are going to demand an accounting. They're going to demand a responsibility. And the Chinese Communist Party is going to have to pay. Look, President Trump forced them into a trade deal they definitely didn't want to do, right? But I think that's been overcome by events to a degree about they have to answer for this first. All the things about IP protection, forced technology transfers, all of that are very important. But they have to answer this first. And I got to tell you, I think the world's going to hold them in judgment, and that judgment is not going to be very pretty. They owe trillions, if not tens of trillions of dollars. Every casket you see in Hart Island in that mass grave has a lawyer associated with it, and it should. Okay? Every cough they're talking about now, you talk about opening up. We're trying to work through what even the liabilities are for businesses, right? It's one of the reasons President Trump had the meeting. Mitch McConnell's talking about does the government get involved even in that? Every one of those coughs are going to have a lawyer, too. 
So the Chinese Communist Party knew about this. They, they turned a blind eye to it. And particularly when they had it in their own country, they tried to protect it going around the rest of China, but they didn't care about it going around the rest of the world. Right. This goes back to what I said at Andrew Ross Sorkin's conference in, in November. Okay, they're the enemy of the Chinese people. They're the enemy of the citizens of the United States, and they're enemy of mankind. And they have to be held accountable, and they have to be held responsible for this. All right. Steve Bannon, thank you. We appreciate that. And, and thanks for mention, uh, mentioning that conference uh, a, a lot of times. A few more times would have been fine, I think, uh, for, for my taste anyway. Uh, and Andrews, too. Anyway, was, we appreciate it. Was it. Great, it was a great conference. It, it was, indeed. Thank you. It's got, a great, you. Uh, got a great host. Anyway, thank you. Steve Ben. Squawk Pod will be right back. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com/activecash. That's the show for today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern and subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, first, that's great. Second, tell a friend, share Squawk Pod, and then maybe even leave us a rating or review on your podcast platform of choice. That helps other listeners find us. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash.